ask about Illuminati Since the charting of Petux Is it Disney Mind Control? Is this MK Ultra Deluxe? Con dos shots para estar Con Disney Se no va a tu chafar Con Disney Pino Land, Pinocchio Con Disney As above, so below Pinocchio seeks fun on Pleasure Island But traffickers need just falling minds Captain Hook the Lost Boy in Neverland Saving kids from Peter Pan's designs Mean of this to survive the Barracuda And that nobody means no one Snow I never took another breath Bird Prince the Angel of Death has come Go Disney We go from real to real Bohemian Grove and no more feel I call Disney Ask about to move and I take I call Disney Teach a call to everybody I call Disney Go wish upon a star I call Disney You know what to just find Disney, the new land Pinocchio, yeah, yeah. I call Disney, it's a fun sort of show. I call Disney, please enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. This is the Occult Disney Podcast. This is Matt here, as always, on the other end of the world. It's a paranoid American. The right end of the world. The right end of the world. I'm at the left end of the world. That's cool. Okay. <laughs> so where are we today? We are we are actually somewhere in between, right? This is this is France. This is yeah, the this hunchback. is actually a nice little like uh, midway point between us. That's right. The hunchback of Notre Dame. Although I believe it's much closer to Florida than Japan, but yeah. Six hour flight I remember from the States. Is that a, a humble brag? Yeah, enough to, uh, a humble brag enough that I've, I've we were talking even outside Notre Dame. I did have the pleasure of going inside, but uh, they didn't have it painted all funny. Or is that not? Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Like uh, uh, when they originally built these cathedrals, they were like painted in like wild colors. I didn't know that. Yeah, because it was like that was the Disneyland of the city in you know medieval times. So they draw people in by it. I think that maybe you know, like pastels, things you paint the stone and all of that is uh, chipped off over the years. And I, I think I've read about a couple cathedrals trying to do that again since that's historically something that happened i suppose we can Maybe. get into that because i've got a lot of notes that actually mirror the fact that churches are the original theme parks okay good good that and then you know it's disney it all kind of ties together nicely um as is usual i want i guess we'll talk about our original experiences with this film which I don't remember. I don't know if this is the first time I've seen it or if I saw it in the theater. I'm just like, don't remember. Uh, one reason being uh, I work at a school where, you know, uh, there's like the playroom TV room. And I, I think the Hunchback 2 is often on in the background. So I've seen it on a lot in the background. And I now have no 
memory if I've seen this before or not. I have not read the book, so yeah. Uh, I'm, I was a no for both. No book, no movie. This is the first time that I saw the whole movie start to end. That's interesting. A little bit interesting because I, I feel like uh, Disney at this point was going a little bit one for the boys, one for the girls. You know, Lion King, I guess, had, was a little Simba appeals to boys a little more. Then you got Pocahontas. If, if I don't want to sound like uh, like flippantly, you know, ignorant here, but if it's got music in it, if it's a musical, I feel like it didn't feel like it was for boys for me at that age, at least. If someone I, started I singing, that. I was like, oh, this is a girl movie. It was, but last week, I definitely saw James and the Giant Peach in the, like in the theater, I think opening night. So it's curious. I guess I probably didn't see this then. But, you know, that was just a time in my life. It, what's the 90s? What do teenagers do? They go to the movie theater, right? There's nothing else to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll co-sign with that. Although I was up to much more nefarious ends than going. Oh, you're up to movies. things before and after the theater, of course, too. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I feel yeah. like a lot of 90s teenager evenings were centered around the movie theater. I or, only remember a, a small handful of movies that I saw in the night. I'm sure I saw lots of them, but like as as my own individual person, like Beavis and Butthead to America, I think is like one of the only ones I remember. Uh, Gladiator, and I think Titanic, and I'm pretty sure that we left Titanic to sneak into Gladiator because they were roughly the same length, and uh, Titanic was just a snooze fest to me. Oh yeah, that that one. I'll, I'll humble brag again. I again, these were all like <laughs> like nice, um, nice like. 50 style dates but i think i took three different girls to titanic <laughs> yeah did, did it hit did it hit on the third one <laughs> were you just waiting for it to to go somewhere um well actually i did end up dating one of them for three and a half years but that was in university so that was a little bit afterwards but uh so it was like a delayed reaction to, uh, you know long movie to related reaction right <laughs> <laughs> This one's a nice short movie. Uh, it, it's always nice when you start the video. And it's like ah, an hour thirty minutes. I can actually knock it it's out. It's inching one up night. though. They're inching because they They're used to inching. be an hour and ten, and then it got to like an hour and fifteen, hour and twenty. So I can see them getting longer and longer now. Where are we now on the animated ones? I know when they do the quote unquote live action ones, they run like two and a half hours because for some reason that's a normal movie length now. Um, but I feel like the animated ones still probably tap out at about one forty-five now. So maybe we, maybe we got ten more years before they break the two hour mark. I mean, I got a rule now when it comes to animations. If it's longer than an hour and a half, then I just adjust the speed so that it's about an hour and a half. And if oh, that means yeah, that yeah. it goes by too fast, then that's their fault, not mine. Right? No, no I can get that. And I guess it's just uh, you know animation. Even in the nineties, every second is so expensive. Whereas now, I guess you can uh, fudge it a little more. I, I don't know. Uh, you, you probably know better than I do about that. So, <laughs> I mean, I think we're sort of inching. Maybe not in this movie. It would have been obvious if somebody just threw in a bunch of extra frames as filler. But yeah, I mean, at this point, when it's all digital, you just say like, "Oh, when you know, when this you call it a tween um, because it means between the frames." So usually, the tween animations. That would be where you would, in the classical version, you know, you get your keyframers, and they are the ones that make like the heroic shots with all the detail. And they'll usually do these keyframes. They're literally called keyframes for that reason. And they'll make those keyframes, and then they pass off the keyframes to the in betweeners or the tweener animations. So that's usually where the guys would go in and, and draw all the little in between things that have a little bit less detail. When that's done digitally, 
you could just tell the computer program like, hey, draw me 20 frames in between these two keyframes. Or you could say 40. Or you could say 200. Or you could say 1,000. You know what I mean? And all of those would result in just having more frames. It makes It's obvious the more that you try to stuff in there when you only had a couple keyframes. But if you wanted to make something 15 minutes, 20 minutes longer at this point, it wouldn't be hard to just stuff a few extra tween frames in between a bunch of different key moments. And no one would really be the wiser. The only thing would screw up is if you already had everything synchronized to music and sound effects and all that pacing was baked in. Now, all of a sudden, you can't just like throw frames in there because now the song has to get louder. And uh, But it's all very possible, and it's somewhat trivial to make it a little bit longer. Oh, yeah. I mean, they don't need to be. Um, I, I think, I, don't, I guess, what, what is the situation with people going to movie theaters now? I mean, I'm, you know, when this came out, I was seeing maybe two movies every weekend, one or two every weekend, whereas now I go to the movie theater once every two months, maybe. So, because uh, I know it was like theaters want shorter movies to get people in and out. And now it seems that's not the case. Is it, I don't know, prestige thing? I go to the movies once every three to five years at best. I might be an anomaly here, but I've just <laughs> always hated movie theaters. I've never liked any part of the experience except for that. The music was nice and loud and it was like pitch black. So you could see the dark darks, but outside of that, man, I don't, I don't like having people coughing and laughing and eating and uh, sticky floors and not having a pause button. So like I, I wouldn't mind if, movie theaters just went completely you know into like the history books and people used to just be like you know grandma grandpa what do you mean you used to drive somewhere to watch a movie you didn't just pull it up on your phone like yeah that was dumb time and dumb people <laughs> no i'm down with the temple of the movies uh japan fixes most of the problems you just mentioned except for the pause button of course but i also you know like Americans. How, how do they the fix movie. annoying is it just because there's no americans there but how do they fix people like you know, like laughing and clapping along with the movie or just being distracting? Partly uh, what you just said. It's not Americans. Okay, uh, well, we can't do too. that part in America. We're kind of prone to go to movies at night, right? Like evening shows, late shows. Uh, in Japan, they go, it's like during the day. So the cheap show is actually the late show, which is like 8 o'clock. And if you go to that, they're, I've, been in, I've actually had like basically private screenings. So <laughs> is there pot? Well, I don't know how that's scalable. Like that seems like the movie theaters are indeed, you know, on their way out. If it feels like a private screening. Well, the, the afternoon movies are quite filled and I'm talking like a Tuesday night in that case, but mm -hmm. it's like a Saturday night, Sunday night. I mean, there's like, there's some people there, Still though, man, it's like, I just, it's, it's like seems a so weird to, to like yeah. in modern day to have a large building such as a movie theater and for it to be normal to be completely empty because it happens to be a Tuesday. That's such a, a like what other business could be like, oh, yeah, we just don't do any business at all on Tuesdays. And, and to get it even weirder, that theater's in a mall that was built only like 12 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> it is. Do they sell popcorn? Is popcorn like a big thing in the movie theater? Oh, yeah. Oh, popcorn, caramel. How popcorn. much is it? Do they do they charge like American style prices for popcorn? No, the no. Uh, the tickets cost a little more, but the uh, concessions are cheaper. So, you know, three, three and a half bucks for a nice tub of popcorn is pretty good because <laughs> that's like 10 bucks in the States last time I checked, which was a while ago, to be fair. I don't know if it, it still wouldn't appeal to me, man. Like I'm, I'm all in for movies on demand and, you know, 
sailing the seven no, my seas mom, and all that. My mom's been like that for years. I, I think in my life she's gone to see two movies with us, and my father and I have seen tons of movies together. So same thing. She wants to get up and like take a break, hit the pause, that sort of thing. So, um, I mean, I, I like that too, but. Uh, Sometimes that means it takes me like a week to watch a movie. Or I'm like, man, I only watched half of that movie. I never finished it, you know? <laughs> you know what's crazy, especially with doing this Cult Disney series, is that normally when I when I just put on a regular old movie that's like an hour and a half long, two hours, like I'm going to sleep halfway through that movie. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it just... But the fact that I'm, tr- I'm like trying to pay attention and I'll have like a document up and I'll be taking notes... So I, I've, I'm constantly pausing it and writing something and then like researching something and going back to the movie and like I can stay up that way. It doesn't make me tired. But the second I just like put on a straight up movie and I think that's another part of movie theaters is that I was just paying $15 to go and take a nap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I would just older, wake up and the credits would roll. Times. <laughs> and it wasn't great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not saying you don't have valid points. I just uh, I'm one of those guys. I always have like, valid yeah, points. I like the ceremony of the movies. I mean, that's for, that your church is either, you know, like a, a church or a movie theater, basically, in the States, right? You could, <laughs> you you have could. like, everyone can develop their ceremony. Uh, and I don't know if, if movie theaters could win me back, but if they could, it would totally be uh, with, like, the 4D experience where the chairs move and, like, mist, you know, like, sprays out. I know a lot of people think that's, like, ultra cheesy, but that <laughs> would get me going back into the theater. I mean, it's probably fun. I haven't done 4, 4X. I mean, I live in the countryside. I have a nice theater, but they don't do anything special. You know, there's no IMAX or uh, crazy frame rates or anything of that stuff. So um, I was a sucker for the 3D wave, too. Like, I, went, I was going and seeing lots of movies in IMAX 3D for a while, and then it kind of, like, fell out of favor again. See, I didn't get much of a choice because in Japan, it's also, are you watching the subtitle or the dub screening? So mm-hmm. the first couple of years I lived back in Japan, it was like the subtitled one was the 3D one. And it kind of flipped a couple of years later. The dubbed one was the 3D one. So, mm-hmm. And by that, that's the point when they weren't doing them properly. And a lot of them were just like these like lame conversions anyway. So, um, yeah, yeah, 3D done well is great. But, you know, 3D done poorly is like eight headaches at once. <laughs> Have um, there been any major Disney movies recently that were in 3D? Uh, did, did Wish show in 3D? I guess I it know. didn't. I think. I think. I mean, there was obviously the Avatar bump last year, but uh, does that count as Disney? Uh, yeah, they got the World of Pandora at Animal Kingdom. That's got to count for something. Okay, all right. <laughs> they own Fox now, right? I'm not impressed Avatar? by Avatar either. Star Wars, Avatar, almost none of the Disney uh, huge IPs were ever really my favorites. We'll save that for another period <laughs> American Hates Everything episode. <laughs> they are long, I'll give that. Um, and, and I have not rewatched the second one. I, I went to a theater. You know, I enjoyed swimming in the 3D aquarium for 30 minutes. That was nice. Um, that was actually weird, like non-narrative movie making for about thirty minutes. It really was just swimming around with the Navi, and so you would have taken your nap probably, unless. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's a little bit theme park like too. So it, it it was the most theme park experience I've had watching a movie. I'll say that. I've yeah. also fallen asleep on the rock and roller coaster, so I'll just throw that out there. I fell asleep playing the cello. That was kind of fun. <laughs> if you want to play an orchestra and you want an instrument and take a nap, then <laughs> cello is the only one because you can like just kind of fall on it and take a nap. This is like the worst version of that scene in Lethal Weapon 3 where they're they're uh, comparing scars, but the our <laughs> version is just like the craziest places you've taken a nap. <laughs> um, 
you know, last night I, I wasn't quite in the mood for the Hunchback of Notre Dame. I mean, I needed to watch it, and I did. And actually, as it went, I was finding myself enjoying it. I, I felt like quality-wise, it's up with the other Renaissance films, uh, being one I think I've never seen before. <laughs> I mean, quality-wise, I'll go out on a limb and say this is my... To date, this might be the best-looking animation in terms of the background matte painting and stuff, at least. The level of detail that they've put into the backgrounds, I think that's the best we've seen so far. How about the uh, crowds? The, the, they apparently invented a software called Crowd to create the crowds in this movie. Okay. I mean, serviceable. Uh, not No plus, no minus. I think it was... Fine, and uh, there was a much better integration of the 3D outside of maybe the bell tower scene. That one was a little dated, but every other use of 3D animation in this movie felt like it was done better than any other previous incarnation. I think they built it out off of the gazelles, so they turned gazelles into people, basically, hmm. and uh, made it a crowd. So there's something magical uh, about that. Here's one. I, I was thinking about the songs. Like, I, I didn't really dig the James songs that much. And uh, I, I, after our podcast, I listened to another podcast about where they just, lo- well, two of three loved the songs. Didn't love the songs in Hunchback, but I was like, okay, the, these are these are working fine. I mean, they're they're very show tuny, but mm-hmm. uh, they seem well constructed. Because I was like with James, I was like, maybe I'm not getting into these songs because I don't really know the songs. I don't really know these either, but uh, yeah, you get some Hellfire, which uh, apparently is stopping up any remake of this because they don't know what to do with that song anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they just kick it out. They they don't they don't care about that. They just you can't kick out the Hellfire. Well, they didn't. They kick out um, Sebastian in the latest Little Mermaid. Like, how do you kick out Sebastian? Oh, and I think Sebastian's in there. This is the thing I, I did. That's like the only one I watched for our podcast, and I. I mostly forgotten everything about it except that everything looked like dreary and moldy i remember that <laughs> but i think they had a or am i thinking of the jiminy cricket from pinocchio yeah that's the thing these these newer ones really don't stick in your head very well you know yeah you're uh, like did ones. i even see the main sidekick that i remember from the original because <laughs> they had a flounder i know yeah they said I think they had a Sebastian. You're making me, yeah, making me uh, question my own reality again, which I, I guess is what you like <laughs> to do anyway. But <laughs> in this one, just to start getting, I guess, to plot points and things, um, the one takeaway that I had is I felt like this movie delineates that his um, companions are mostly in his head more so than previous Disney films. I mean, you got Snow White talking to the to the animals and stuff, but uh, well, he gargoyles... also talks to animals in this, right? Right, but uh, with the gargoyles, especially, I felt like all of those sequences were actually fully him, like talking to himself, like thinking out loud, but with four different voices. Well, I mean, not to discount that the person that that we're looking at, the Hunchback, is very likely mentally challenged as well as physically challenged. Like, there's. Even the way that he speaks, it doesn't sound right. Like, it, like I don't know. I didn't look up who did the voice for Hunchback, but it was like just a straight up Jonathan Taylor Thomas style American like go getter. But then like he's got three teeth that are that are crooked, and it seems like it would sound like he's just constantly chewing on the end of his tongue whenever he talks. 
Yeah, I guess I couldn't really take that step. Also, I did, like, you're right. He probably does have actually, he might very likely have some mental issues. I just felt like I was like, oh, the isolation has driven him insane. So I was like giving him uh, eh, full mental stock, but he's gone insane. Uh, the voice was Tom Hules, who played Mozart in the movie Amadeus. And um, I forget what the name of his character was in Animal House, but he was one of those guys. Oh, right, so he got <laughs> Rock Me Amadeus and Rock Me in uh, Hunchback and Other Down. That's right. And of course, you know, he plays Mozart as kind of an imp. So <laughs> if you've ever well, seen that I, movie. Yeah, I guess this guy is definitely mentally disturbed. Um, and I don't know if it's isolation as much as just he was born that way because he's not completely isolated, right? He still has this master that apparently shows up every day for lunch. I mean, that's more attention than some latchkey kids that I grew up ever got. Yeah, yeah. It, that was a weird thing of, of Guild or whatever. Apparently, um, the character was supposed to be like an archbishop, and they were like, ah, oh, we're going to get, you know, religious um, protests if we do that. So they changed him to a judge that just, I guess, hangs out in the church a lot. But it does make a lot more sense if he's like an archbishop or a cardinal. Well, not a cardinal, that'd be in Italy. But yeah, an archbishop. That does make a lot more sense. And I mean, basically, you watch him. I, I, I thought he was in a religious role until I was like looking over and doing research at the end. And so, no, he's a judge. They made the change on purpose. Uh, I, I don't know what the book has him as. Well, I don't know if separation of church and state existed in this particular time period within uh, Notre Dame area. So, I would say potato, potato in a lot of different ways. Like they, they would both have some level of uh, religious uh, sort of. You know, incorporation. It's just the difference is that in this movie, I guess it's almost like if you're playing tag or something, like the church is home base and like safe zone. So if someone's chasing you, as long as you get into that circle, like they're not allowed to tag you. That's kind of how they treat this whole this whole operation. Like that's the only well, yeah. real religious aspect of it. Yeah, they literally yell uh, sanctuary, right? Several times. They have to, <laughs> you have to say like a magic word. In order mm -hmm. for the state to leave you alone when you're in this this area, and of course this has this also has you know literal incantations. We keep talking about Disney movies, especially Fantasia, Toy Stories, like invocations, incantations, where we sometimes, well, I sometimes forget that there was that weird uh, Gregorian chant fad thing in the mid '90s, and I wondered if that influenced this movie. <laughs> Or vice versa, or they were just hitting at the same time. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Yeah, I, I feel like the the CDs were like ninety four ish. So like, I feel like this might have been like taking a bit from that. Like when they were doing the music. Well, everyone loves Gregorian chants right now, so let's let's do that. It might have been one of the better <laughs> musical notes of the movie because Gregorian chants are timeless by definition. One of my favorite. Uh, well, actually, my, my favorite iteration of that is the Electric Prunes 1968 album, Mass in F Minor, where it's it's like Kyrie Eleison and all that stuff done as like psychedelic jams. I think I might be wrong, but I think Electric Prunes were produced by David Axelrod on a few of their You're albums. correct. This is this is secretly a David Axelrod album. Okay. They Anything with band. David Axelrod's name on it, I'm all in. Oh, get into that. You know, the Electric Prunes were, uh, they did two albums as a band, you know, often augmented by session musicians. And that one, David Axelrod came in, none of the band could play it. So I think by the end of the uh, album, there was like one guy left and just session musicians. But 
that's who you want to hear playing David Axrod stuff anyway. You know, that's who supposed to be playing that sort of stuff. So, they're, yeah, they're, they're a weird band. But I do I, I do recommend the uh, Mass and F minor album. It's, it's a short 28 minutes, like a lot of Axrod albums. It doesn't last that long. <laughs> and this has been another episode of the David Axrod Fan Club. Thank you. That's for right. <laughs> uh, what were the other voices here? Uh, let's see. Demi Moore was... Uh, Esmeralda, and just oh, as a wow, fun okay. fact, I didn't totally this, didn't put that together until just now. When this open, well, uh, it said, "Oh, she had a deeper singing voice." But uh, the funny thing is, I was looking at the box office, and I think when this came out, you know, it was number one at the box office. Number three was Striptease, starring Demi Moore. So <laughs> I thought that was subversively fun. So she was but, she was doing double duty at the box office, counter programming, yeah. Uh, as a, Which as is a interesting because Esmeralda is also a stripper <clears throat> in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah, gypsies, right? So, well, not gypsies. because she's a gypsy. That's a little offensive. But she's literally no. a strip. I mean, she's as much of a stripper as you could be in a Disney movie. Um, they give a lot of extra attention. At the end of it, the crowd is whistling and they throw money <laughs> on the stage. And she starts. She scoops the money up. And later on in the movie, she's saying like, "I wish I didn't have to to dance out in public." Um, so yeah, I, well, that's, that's the thing. I felt the same thing earlier in the movie when, say, the Archdeacon. What's this Archdeacon here? He's, no, he's the nice one. Okay, uh, Judge Claude Frollo. Frollo. Yeah, when Frollo does yell "gypsy" at her, that's the tone, right? <laughs> it's more like he's screaming "horror stripper, horror Babylon," you know, that kind of thing. Who else do we have? Who is Tony J? He is Frollo, which that sounds familiar. Okay, he's just one of those uh, guys from the Royal Shakespeare Company. Or I should say, he's one of those fine gentlemen from the Royal Shakespeare Company. I don't know. Anyway, he probably I'm not trying to break into that world. I don't care. Yeah, okay. Uh, Kevin Klein is Captain Phoebus. He's a guy that just existed in the 90s and then just vanished, I guess. I don't know. He's been around. He's kind of like the the poor man's fill-in-the-blank for a lot of stuff. Yeah, I just feel like I haven't seen him since Wild Wild West. Like, he was so embarrassed by that movie. Just Which, I don't hate that movie, by the way, but it's not great. But I find it watchable. But yeah, that seemed to just, like, instantly end his career. Or maybe just, you know, hung up his boots at that point. I don't know. Maybe that I think that movie might, might have been a, ahead of its time. Like, it, when it came out, I think it was, it was a little bit cheesy. No one knew what to do with it. But if you rewatch it, Today, it's almost it feels more modern than it did in the nineties. Yeah, I, I watched it maybe two years ago for a podcast, expecting to feel that way, and then I watched it. And I was like, okay, it actually is a little middling, but it, it's got some good stuff. That's for sure. Yeah, well, yeah, you have to know the background between um, Louise Bourgeois' uh, spider sculptures that she had placed all over the world uh, in these big metropolitan areas there. I don't know. There's, there's a weave in there. I won't get into too much detail. We'll, okay. we'll save that for an episode. I'll, I'll certainly leave that. There might be some layers to that worth exploring. So, but yeah, Kevin Klein is just like giant star in the nineties. And just, you kind of have to add layers life. into that movie in a way to make it entertaining. Also, I got brainwashed by that movie because I worked at the Warner Brothers studio store when it came out. So I would just, you know, the giant video was pummeling me with Wild Wild West like for four months. <laughs> Great song. I, I can't remember. They, they sampled uh, part of that song from like another song, the Wild Wild West. Like whatever yes, the yes. little hook is, but it, it's a great, that's, that hook is better than the whole movie. 
Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's the uh, yeah, that's the start of the millennium, I guess. I don't know. It was that was <laughs> the start of the millennium. <laughs> now you do. You, I, I know you didn't look up the voice actors, but um, we got some sitcom voices. I I assume one of them stood out to you or not? Yeah, well, yeah, Jason Alexander obviously okay. stood right out, and then there was someone doing what sounded like they were trying to do uh, another Disney voice. Well, one of them was, it said um, Mary Wicks was Laverne. This was Wicks' final acting performance she, as she died a year before release. And someone else had to actually pick up and do the, I, I, I guess not reshoots for animation, but uh, there was some remaining dialogue they had to get someone else to do. Uh, let's see. Flying Nun, maybe? I don't know. I'm just get, I'm getting a picture of her as a nun somewhere. But yeah. Both of them were quite old it looks like so they could have been a classic disney voice but i'm not getting a hit on what that is so what oh 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 okay here we go the two there was two sitcom guys the second gargoyle at least was jim dial on murphy brown so okay i, I remember murphy brown but i don't know who the hell jim dial is i mean i now i'm looking at his face i'm like oh yeah i remember that guy but was Again, it the, no. the guy with the silver hair? I think so. He doesn't in this picture, though. But uh, I haven't seen Murphy Brown since the 90s. I, and it's never a show I actually just watched. It was just like the TV's on and Murphy Brown's on, you know? There was a <laughs> reboot. I don't know if you know that. There was a Murphy Brown reboot a few years ago. Yeah, Candace Bergen is, uh, I guess she has some clout still. I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah, one more sitcom guy. Uh, the Archdeacon was David Udgen Steers, who was uh, the second heel on MASH. Major Winchester, that's who it was, yeah. Also, yeah, all, the, all the heavy hitters for those kids in the 90s. <laughs> they were clawing their way to, to see well, kids the... <laughs> well, I don't know, do kids now want to go for celebrity voices? I feel like, at, especially in 96, it made sense to have like sitcom people do the voice acting i mean for marketing because it's like oh mom and dad will be like well i like that person so i'll go see the movie with with my kid i think i mean this is just my own theory but this movie included would be a good example but i think when they're casting they're not even thinking about how would jason alexander sound in this movie they're thinking how would jason alexander sound in the mcdonald's commercial for this movie uh oh, sound great that that that's what really hit the same thing with Jonathan Taylor Thomas. I doubt anyone and I'm out of line here because I, I don't know for sure, but I doubt anyone in the casting rooms were like, this kid's got what it takes to really deliver this performance. It was more like this kid will sell these freaking underoos and these happy meals. Like no one else can at this moment. And I think that that's probably where a lot of these things happen. And then that's when you get like really good movies and stuff with, kind of no-namers or people that are usually in the background and, like, put it in their all. Yeah. By the way, this one was uh, very tied into the Whoppers uh, for this particular movie. The <laughs> the Burger King heavy, Whoppers? Heavy Burger King uh, promotional materials for this movie. Okay, yeah, uh, sorry sorry for saying McDonald's. But the Bur Burger King, don't come after me. You Burger you King's own Hunchback of Notre Dame. Like, you're, no you're going to no open your, for you. You're going to go through your door and that, that creepy king is going to be there just staring at you <laughs> i did like that that was a good campaign <laughs> um yeah i was thinking though it's like since he opened the first word he says i'm like oh it's george i'm like does that mean he's not acting well in this 
I feel like a, a good like I did. I never was like, oh, that's Demi Moore and Kevin Klein until I saw the list. So yeah. But it would have it would be interesting if out. they treated it like a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> who would the, who would the hunchback be if this were a Seinfeld? Are we are we going Newman just because of size or Kramer? I was gonna, yeah, of, I was gonna go Kramer because of awkwardness. Yeah, I and also like a lot of slapstick and physical comedy. Right, right. So yeah, we, th- th- there's your next AI project. Hunchback, <laughs> a Seinfeld episode. Seinfeld, uh, yeah, Hunchback. <laughs> so I guess we should talk a little bit about. Notre Dame and cathedrals itself themselves. Uh, I mean, I, I went, I had my Europe trip when I was a teenager. So we bopped into a few impressive. I mean, it's kind of weird. Like America, I feel like has the least of this kind of thing. Cause Japan, we got temples out the wazoo and you could just hang out at them, you know, where cathedrals kind of like ground your city. Um, like you, like, I don't know. But you, you were going to talk about the theme park aspect of a of an old cathedral. Well, I think there are some cities where that used to still be the case. Um, like St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York is still like, like a really famous one, although it's kind of been dwarfed by everything else. I think FAO Schwartz dwarfed it at some point uh, <laughs> in the '90s. Uh, but I mean, like Salt Lake City, uh, a lot of like Mormon temples, Scientology. Uh, it's usually the ones that have enough money and don't have enough scandals where people are like, Hey, don't you have a lawsuit? To... Uh, so I guess, I don't know. I guess they all have those, but Mormon Mormons and the Scientologists, they've seen to be flexing the, like, look at our, our badass cathedrals game more than anyone there, else at this point. Is there a, uh, Scientology city to speak of? I mean, obviously Salt Lake for the Mormons. Um, so you could say pockets of Hollywood, but Clearwater, Florida, is also known as a Scientology hub. They don't necessarily own the city, but neither Mormons don't own Salt Lake City either. It's just very commonly associated with them. So I'd say Clearwater is the closest to that. Um, a few years ago, I was walking um, in, in Tokyo, just north of Shinjuku, if people know the city. I was, I was actually just looking for tiny guitar stores, but uh, I came across just this skyscraper of Scientology, which in the middle of Tokyo, which was kind of, I mean, kind of fun to see, you know, and in the front, just like Dianetic books across the entire front. And I don't know, it just made me giggle a little bit. It's got Sorry, a cool books. name. Uh, for the longest time, I could have sworn that they were like, it was like Star Trek inside of there, just based on the name alone. Yeah, yeah. And a very impressive building, though, big like marble facade and stuff. And, and in the I, middle of Tokyo, it's extra surprising. <laughs> random tangent, but you said you were looking for tiny guitar stores, like tiny stores that sell guitars or stores that sell tiny guitars uh small music stores i don't want the tiny guitars i want okay. i want a real guitar. <laughs> okay yeah. no amazon sometimes is like do you want this little model of a guitar i'm like no why would i want that one <laughs> 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 well, <when> i can play <laughs> but uh yeah actually i think i was i don't remember what i was looking for but yeah uh there are sections of tokyo that just ha- are littered with them i don't know maybe new york city has an area like that it's been a while since i've been there so I think we're America's better at like, well, for a while it was shopping malls. Like no one could flex on our shopping mall game. And then Dubai came along and they were like, here's how you do a shopping mall. You need to have a blizzard and a snowstorm and an indoor uh, surfing pool, just like all next to each other. Are they, some of those have 
collapsed though i mean the shopping malls in america seem to you see all these uh, yeah well so the, the ones that relied on the outside public a lot of those end up collapsing but there's also a large portion of those that are literally just built for some royal family and for them to enjoy so those ones stay running indefinitely as long as they just keep pumping the money into it the public okay. ones are like they make, make a big splash and then they're really hard to to maintain is IMG Worlds of Adventure still open? I don't know. The the point being, I, I every year I got this listing activity, which is an article for the opening of IMG Worlds of Adventure, but that that's from like eight years ago, and I think they might have closed since. So, <laughs> well, like we were talking, churches used to be the theme parks, and this movie does a really good shot of some of that where i guess the the most poignant version in this entire movie is about halfway in and they show and i have to look up what the the damn thing is called uh the thurible so they're they're going through um like a like a mass essentially and the priest comes out and he's swinging the thurible also known as a sensor and it's got like you know incense that's coming out of it. And he's walking around, and as he walks around, you see this big swirl of incense. The camera pans up, and it also shows a stained glass window. Uh, and then it starts showing some of the architecture. And this is a really, really awesome like five to six second animation that kind of shows a really intense um, like breakdown of how churches used to be these these theme parks. Because when you go here, right. You're going to smell something you've never smelt before in the sense of that, that sensor. Uh, it might even have some psychoactive materials in it, depending on your research. We'll leave that one for another time. But that's also <laughs> very, a very plausible theories that they each just would go there and get blasted out of your mind. Everyone's getting stoned in there. It was like they were putting hash in it. So that's one version of it, olfactory sense. Then you're also, when you see these stained glass windows, those would produce colors that a lot of people would never see in their normal peasant lives um, that we just produced, you know, with these various pigments and refractions. And so that's another element where it's like, you're going here to smell things. You'll never smell outside of that to see things. You'll never see the music, the singing, the instruments, um, the acoustics, all of these things are, would not exist in your normal natural life. And then the, uh, like the cymatic style architecture that's kind of just baked into all of the designs, all the filigrees, everything around it. All of those things in my mind amass to like a freaking Pink Floyd laser light show, just the medieval version of that, right? So when you go to church, you're literally going and you're being transported to another realm where your senses are being overloaded in ways they never would be. It's really hard to relate to it today because if you've got a phone you know what i mean like you've got every color in the rainbow or essentially i mean i know it's limited uh to that but it, it's it's a lot less of a big impact whereas this would be every sunday like clockwork you're almost being trained to like hear the big bell you use the bell to go in and that already prepares you of like hell yeah we're about to go and trip out and see some really cool colors yeah, you had me at fill, uh, filling the sensor with hashish. I mean, and I do remember being very impressed by the colors, even as a teenager, in a, you know, not in the middle of a service. Actually, I'm looking, I think this is kind of, just as a fun fact, this was released in June 21st, 1996, which means I actually was probably at Notre Dame when this came out. That's kind of fun. <laughs> 
that would have been when that trip was. So <laughs> that's why I didn't see it. I was at the cathedral itself, which is, I don't know, maybe a better show. Uh, I prefer, I usually prefer the movies. It's like, I prefer the album to go in to see the live show. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> it depends on which group, but yeah. So most of them, most of them. It's been a little while since I thought too deeply about it, but there are theories about who built cathedrals and where they came from. And maybe us not being quite, uh, you know, the history book, not quite having the right paragraph on that. Uh, I hear this all day, every day from just the various circles that I, I swim within. So yeah, there's all, there's a lot of old world theories. There's the Tartarian theory, um, Atlantean theories, but a lot of those is that the cathedrals always existed. I don't know. I'm, I'm also a uh, spoiler alert. I'm also a Freemason. So I've actually heard lots of like Freemasonic claims of, you know, this is what they used to be able to do back in the day. But a lot of the information is either lost or just no one cares about it enough. And I lean towards that second part. And also you can't like these cathedrals. I'm just going to go out on a limb here. I don't know f- for sure, but I'm going to assume people died building these things. People, you know, lost fingers, they got maimed, they got incredibly hurt throughout these big projects. And it wasn't necessarily like, I'm going to go and file a claim against you. And now, you know, you got to go and get your lawyers and we're going to get workmen. That's filing a claim against God. Yeah, dude. Like, (laughs) yeah, you're not going to be filing these claims. And I don't know if they had the same like child labor. Like, I don't know. There, There was a lot other elements going on here that aren't going on today imagine if you just removed all child labor laws all workman's comp laws just like anything that could just make someone force you to work for pennies on the dollar all day long no breaks maybe we could start making some really cool cathedrals again but no one wants to have that conversation no one wants to make that trade no atlanta has uh the the an episcopal cathedral i mean that's that's i've been there because my parents go to episcopal church but Somewhat impressive, but clearly not quite on the scale of an old European one. Because, uh, yeah, you wouldn't, that was built about 100 years ago, and you can't really build something that's going to kill 30 people a month, I guess. <laughs> well, look at uh, like downtown Chicago is another good example. Like, those are all like Freemasonic built buildings. Those have, it's clearly a slightly different style. It's not exactly Gothic, it doesn't have the, the same like Renaissance look as Notre Dame, of course, but it has that 1920s Art Nouveau style look to it, which in its own right, uh, relative to the rest of the architecture in America today, it's kind of like our closest version of that old world style cathedral building. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sticks out, uh, not like a sore thumb, like an interesting thumb in the middle of Atlanta, because Atlanta doesn't really have old stuff. Uh, anything that was... Well, no, no, just, there's nothing old there. So <laughs> the slightly old stuff got burnt down and then they built slightly newer stuff. That's uh, basically how it works there. But yeah, you do, because I, I remember as a kid, you know, you see Masonic temples all over the place. You're like, why Why is that such a big deal? And they're like, well, okay, you make your reputation by building that stuff. It's going to reverberate through time. Yeah, it, it turns out that building buildings that stick around for hundreds of years tend to reflect pretty well on institutions yeah if i mean they suck Dis- at it that would be pretty obvious too i don't i don't think uh disneyland maybe disneyland will last another 500 years but i'm trying to throw my doubts uh i mean that's going to crumble as soon as someone's not taking care of it you know where the the cathedrals don't 
I mean, they'll, they'll get dirty and stuff, but yeah, they, I mean, they stick around. Like you'd have to actually try and harm it in order to bring it down. I mean, there are, you know, there are old, somewhat abandoned old churches, but often they still have a couple of their major uh, constructions still there, even if there's a fair amount of rubble sticking around. So speaking of just jumping uh, in a little bit here, but they they make this implication at the very beginning of this movie that the only reason the judge even takes care of the hunchback, because he's about to throw it down a well and, and unalive this little thing. And it's like, they're implying that all these statues are watching you, right? And like, they know what you're doing. Like, they'll always know. They, they see everything and everyone's looking at them. And my first thought was like, did they know who set the fire to Notre Dame? Does anyone know who set the fire? Does anyone even care who set a freaking fire to Notre Dame? Does, am, am I talking out of turn here? Do you remember that? When it, like, I remember. Fire and they were like, oh, well, it must have been an accident. Oh, gosh. And that was the end of it. Yeah, yeah. And then weird stuff started happening. It's pro- probably started the new age. <laughs> or, so maybe hey. they know. Maybe the freaking gargoyles know who set the fire. Ask the but gargoyles. Not Ask Jason Alexander. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I was definitely... We were talking about some NLP last week. And this also had a fair amount of it. Um, a lot of gaslighting NLP stuff going on with how he talks to Quasimodo. Uh, making him repeat like how horrible he is, things like that. So that's so a little psychic driving in there. Throw a little Dr. You and Cameron MK ultra. Yeah. They put it into song form. I guess he's not sleeping in that case, but, uh, <laughs> may, you know, well, that was only is... one of his many experiments. Not everyone was sleeping. Right, right, right. Yeah. And this was in song form. You can't sing a song, but you can be, you know, in a different state of, of consciousness when, if you're singing a song, cause it's different than talking or just thinking. <laughs> that that's very NLP, a very um, um, Miltonian, I think, sort of hypnosis. I mean, I still remember the the dumb song to help me remember my phone number when I was six years old. You know, <laughs> <laughs> good a lot of help that is. Yeah, I'm not going to sing it though because it's still my parents' phone number. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty crazy. I guess you'd have to know the area code too, but still, <laughs> maybe it won't maybe it won't dox my folks on a public forum <laughs> uh you said you had some scattered notes uh, is there anything you really want to hit i mean there's definitely things here to look at uh i mean yeah they're, they're a little bit scattered just like kind of lose bullet point they're in chronological order as far as the movie's concerned so um well okay, let's start on bells because it's the movie starts out on the bell and the hunchback works in this bell tower and again just like I don't know if it will be NLP, but very Pavlovian uh, with the bell basically like reminding you, hey, it's time to act this certain way. And it also kind of denotes when the end of the day is there. So, I mean, just just that alone, imagine. And I guess when I grew up in a small town, they had that. They had a church with a church bell that they would ring and it would just remind you like, oh, it's it's that particular time without that. Unless you've got like an alarm set, you kind of live in a in a timeless world. Uh, unless you've got your own little cues, but for an entire town to all be sharing this same cue to tell them like when it's time to think about God, I think it does something like really interesting to that entire town. There is um, so gr- where I grew up. I, we, I mean, obviously we we're close to the church, but not 
I heard bells close. Uh, we'd hear trains, but as I do here, I still I live much closer to train tracks now. But um, something interesting in, in Japan, and it's sometimes in very rural areas where they will play a folk song over speakers, basically telling at 4.30 to tell people to stop farming for the kids to go home for dinner. So, uh, and it, yeah, so it's kind of weird when you're walking out in the middle of nowhere and you hear this creepy tinkling theme. I don't know specifically what song, but there's a yeah. horror movie in there somewhere. There is. That's what I'm saying. Is there's a horror movie in there somewhere. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see what else. Um, I mean, like every Disney movie. Bells. That's. I don't know if that has some kind of a uh, value for you, but yeah, he, he's given them all names. Uh, may, maybe because he just doesn't hang around many people, but. Part of it, I actually haven't heard too much of that. Although there's there's a practice, man. This is crazy. I don't know if it if they do it in Japan as well, but in Korea, I believe, um, there's something called a living bell, <laughs> and there's a, a whole story. I wasn't prepared with this particular note, but um, there's the legend that they made this huge bell, but when they would hit it, it wouldn't make a noise, or if it did make a noise, it, it didn't make the right noise, and they kept melting it back down reforming it over and over again and it just wasn't it wasn't hitting right and then eventually they put a person i think one of the guys that was working on the bell they just throw they melt it back down and while it's molten they throw a person in there and as he's screaming and getting you know enveloped by the rest of this like molten um this metal after they reformed the bell with the dude inside, then it finally started ringing again. And there's like it's like an actual bell that still exists. Um, that that's the still the legend that the reason that it sounds good is because there's a dude inside of it. Oh my, that's 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 much darker than what I was thinking of. So, <laughs> where were you going? Uh, I'm looking for my. I'm actually looking for a photo for our. our there we go. When you said living bell, I immediately thought of. Uh, this photo I had taken of me from Okinawa. <laughs> and for those listening, I'm just standing inside a giant bell at a castle. <laughs> no one hit it while I was inside. That was nice. <laughs> uh, so uh, there's a there's a bunch of different versions of this one, but one of them is the Emil Bell, um, and an- and there's also something called Mengdu. Which is like a sacred rattle, but that's it's slightly different. But yeah, there's there's this Korean bell that somebody was melted into. So, anyways, the the thought there is like maybe that's why they have names. Uh, maybe oh, those are the Bob. The that bell that actually were, is yeah. Bob. Bob was melted into that bell to give it that special <laughs> ring. Yeah, yeah, that's a darker road. I felt like he just named it, but hey, maybe not. He doesn't know the outside world, so if. They're like, yeah, that's Bob. That bell's Bob. Just call him Bob. He was Bob. Okay. You know, I mean, he doesn't know any better. It makes it more special, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, brightens up his day with that. <laughs> what was, I think, um, I think we've, I've mentioned this one before. I don't remember what episode, but the concept of, of I think it's Hito Bashura, which is where they, um, a, a living pillar. And that's where they'll, they'll basically bury a living person under a building, uh, the foundation, or under a bridge when they're building a bridge. Uh, and that way, the ghost of that person basically protects the bridge or protects the building. Unless they're pissed that they got buried under it. <laughs> no, I think it's part of it. I think part of it is that like they're mad, so anyone else that comes around, they like keep them out. Um, 
<clears throat> one thing that stuck out to me a little bit, I guess, watching it, just, uh, I, I guess we're still going somewhat chronologically here, uh, Captain Phoebus, and then they had, you know, very specifically point out that that's a, a sun god name. Well, yeah, this another aspect of this movie, which is it was hard to pin down, but clearly it's about Christianity versus paganism because they're talking about getting these these gypsies out of here. But what's weird is that the gypsies seem to be practicing like modern day Christianity. Like they're going to, to cathedrals, they're praying to God. She has a little map that ha- that looks like um, it looks like a Vesica Pisces with a fish and a cross and everything. So. Like if if these are truly supposed to be palm reading, fortune telling, Romani gypsies, they don't act like it at all. They act like modern day Christians. There is the what you you know doing a little both, right? Uh, putting on the acts that you are doing this while doing your own thing on your own time. Uh, crypto, yeah, like like crypto. <laughs> yeah, they're they're at the cathedral for a festival. So I I've been at festivals at you know, temples. Uh, again, Japan's so weird that religion is like, you don't really have an affiliation. It's just a thing, you know, you can interact with it or, or not. You don't really have to associate yourself with it. Cause in the West, it's so much like I'm a Christian, I'm a, you know, Hindu or whatever. So like sports teams here. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, we were at a temple last week. Um, and, pointing out oh this this part seems shinto and this part seems buddhist it's all mixed together you know 150 years ago the emperor sent out a memo saying make it distinct and this is way up in the mountains so obviously they just ignored the memo and no one came to check it out so it's still all mixed together i have hope that it might not be in my lifetime but at some point in the future there's going to be like a catholic mormon scientology mass that people just go to and no one can tell where the lines are anymore because the lines will all just have been blurred <clears throat> like you're you're gonna go and, and pray for jesus to give you like a good e-meter like score <laughs> that sounds like fun sure why not it does sound like fun i think it should be fun create your own religion everyone should have their own religion you know like you said make your own ceremony right <laughs> i think so man i don't know i i think it should kind of be like a like a little all-you-can-eat buffet religious style no, I mean, that's that's how I roll, because I have things I do a lot, you know, especially in terms of meditation. But it's just like my own weird, like, like it feels like a solid dogma now. But I'm like, well, it's not. I made it myself. So I just we are so the going to hell. <laughs> I'll see you well, there. Hey, if we get a party with the gypsies. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Is this really going to be there? <laughs> um, move along. I guess you had a couple more points. After the uh, oh yeah, so I guess in chronological still um, starts with an abandoned child, like every Disney movie should. Oh yeah, um, so parents are dead four minutes in. <laughs> right off the bat, uh, we even see—I don't even know if it's the mom, but whoever whoever is running away with the hunchback originally with Quasimodo, uh, she—they have a scuffle. She doesn't necessarily get hit, but she falls and she hits her head on the ground. And they kind of imply that you know she's she's no longer here. And I don't, I can't think of a lot of other Disney movies when a human being loses their life on screen, and you actually see the moment that they die. This is might be the first one that comes to mind when you see the moment that a human being dies. 
they had to take this to the rating sport twice. I mean, it's just the difference between a G and a PG. They wanted this one to have a G. Over this uh, particular scene? I don't think so. I'm, I'm looking up the note where it specifically says what that was. Audience, um, it was some part of the Hellfire song. He sang uh, "Sin," and they didn't like that. Oh boy! So they they just put the oh, no, no one cares about a human being losing their life. Oh oh! Another uh, thing they cared about is um, there's a scene where Esmeralda is in the background and there's flames or whatever, and they had to make it more clear that she was wearing clothes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so, no, so I, boobs in the word "sin," but a, a human being dying in front of children. It does um, not seem that was uh, okay. Uh, yeah, we can still sell. We can still sell whoppers if someone's dying. Just you can't. You know, we we can't let them be flame broiled if they're not wearing clothes. Also, a scene in which Frollo sniffs Esmeralda's hair. <laughs> they well, didn't the, like. I mean, that. the president does that. That's effort. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, this is 1996 when the president. We didn't see it on the internet that the president was doing that. <laughs> He does it out in public, so all you had to do was just <laughs> now it's in public. Be... Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so that that's an interesting one. I, again, I I can't think of a single other Disney movie, even even non animated, where a human being dies on screen and they don't cut away and they don't imply and they don't show a shadow or any of that. Like you see someone alive, they hit their head, they're no longer alive. The whole sequence, it was it stood out to me. We've seen a few falls, but uh, I guess maybe we don't see post fall. Yeah, you'll see someone like fall off of a bridge, and then like you know, uh, hear the goofy ahahui. Someone makes that noise in this movie, by the way. But and then they'll just like dunk, but it always leaves it open to like, oh, are they alive? Are they not alive? But this one, you see the back of her head hit a stone uh, step. You see her eyes close immediately after that happens, and then they go over to her with a lifeless body and it's like oh god you know what what has happened here and they say you've you've uh spilled blood or you've shed blood or something like that i'm still trying to think of like did the black cauldron have anything like that that that's the only one that might have because that's the only one that had a pg rating that might but even if it did i don't think it would have been a human it would have been like a non-human getting hurt yeah that's that's probably the case um that's that's the thing when you know we can't rewatch all these movies for every movie we do so it's been what Nine months since we watched that one. Six months. <laughs> yeah, shout shout out in in the comments or write in. If, is there another Disney movie before Hunchback of Notre Dame when a human being dies on screen? Cool. Does Goofy take a life? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> on screen. We all know that he's got a huge body count, but we don't know if any of them on screen. There's also a really interesting note here in my mind when he when the judge is going to throw the Hunchback Quasimodo down a well. And he says, paraphrasing, this is an, un- an unholy demon. I'm sending it back to hell. And then, you know, he kind of like throws it down there. Well, this was actually, and, and what's crazy is that the, uh, the art, what is it? Like the archdeacon or somebody comes out and stops him and is like, think about what you're doing. But the church used to advocate this exact thing. Like, like the church wasn't the one stopping this. The church was usually the one. That's why he actually says this is a little demon. Like that is relig- that's religion talking. That's not a random like, you know, apolitical judge talking. That's not an atheist. And as proof of this, if you if you know who Martin Luther is, you know from Lutheranism, yeah. you might have heard of it. It's kind of a big deal. <laughs> um in some of his original talks that you can go and and read all of the original writings, 
he would advocate about these changelings and he would tell people about uh, getting rid of changelings. And if you're not familiar with what a changeling is in, I think, Scandinavian or some sort of European folklore, the concept of a changeling would ex- would explain that your baby got swapped out with essentially a older age fairy. So when a fairy, bear with me for a bad analogy here, but like when fairies enter old age, they don't necessarily have fairy nursing homes, but what they do is they're like, man, those, those humans over there sure are taking great care of that kid, like feeding it and keeping it warm and keeping it safe. So they just swap out your baby with grandma fairy and they kind of trick humans into taking care of fairies in their old age. And that's the retirement plan. But some people, they identify it. They're like, wait a minute, this isn't my kid. This is a, you know, this is a 90 year old fairy that's on her <laughs> way out. Um, and in order to get rid of the changelings, you would dunk them in water. You would put them in the oven, turn the oven on. Uh, you would basically do anything that would cause the baby to cry. And as soon as the baby started crying, that was actually an indication that the, the fairy hopped out and sent the baby back in. It, it did a little switcheroo. Now, what was actually happening is people would realize their kids were no longer responding in ways that they expected, maybe like autism or any other you know way of this, but they didn't have an explanation for it. So the explanation was just that fairies or demons have swapped your, your baby out with some abomination and stick it in the oven. And if it cries, then maybe your baby's back or stick it down the well. Um, so, I mean... You know, there's a dark story behind this and why he was dunking it in. But this is not the the act of an atheist. This is what the church was advocating. Martin Luther himself was advocating for this. So the the judge is act Frollo is actually a hero for trying to murder the baby. Then, okay. well, I wouldn't. I'm not saying <laughs> not necessarily, but they they left all the rest of the religious connotations out here. It's interesting that they changed him from being you know part of the church to like this judge, which is. I guess in the minds of this movie, separated from church, uh, it would it would kind of be the the same damn thing. But that yeah, I think it's all just the name. But like, but but him wa- them wanting to kill this child because it had some sort of like a deformed, you know, or like an abnormality that is pretty much par for the course when it comes to like this time period. Okay, here is uh, what, it, what it says on, on the wiki, at least. One of the first changes made to accommodate Disney's request was to turn the villainous Cla- Claude Frollo into a judge rather than an archdeacon, thus avoiding religious sensibilities in the finished film, which there's plenty of religious sen- sensibilities in the finished film, but whatever. Uh, as we were exploring characters, especially Frollo, we found a lot of historical parallels to the type of mania he had. The Confederate South, Nazi Germany, take your pick. Uh, those things influenced our thinking. I mean, none of this really is, they're not really explaining why, to be honest, are they? (laughs) No, and there's a scene when he's talking about ants and the gypsies and how uh, he kind of sees them as like insects. But I don't know, man. I'm I'm also, I'm I'm keeping a note in, in mind here, but it's like, is that the worst thing that happened in a church ever? Really, was someone <laughs> uh, talking about you know gypsies and getting rid of changelings? Is that the worst thing that happened in a church? Oh, that there, that there's a name for a dark podcast. What's the worst thing that happened in a church? <laughs> oh God, <laughs> I don't think that would 
I don't I mean? again, and that was the whole thing too. Was like the the mom or whoever the gypsy is that hits her head and loses her life, and then he's gonna like throw the baby down the well. Like even those things wouldn't even make the top hundred things that these gargoyles have probably seen. Welcome to a black pill podcast. We're back <laughs> again, another week. Probably not next week. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know it could be fun. <laughs> Buy some more freeze dried food. <laughs> um, let's see what else here. Uh, I guess just because I didn't do great in Latin, I, f- I forgot it after I took it for about a year. Um, Quasimodo means half-formed. And yeah, quasi-modo. Like ha- half of a mode, half of a form. Or like they're not fully formed. So that was, you know, that's just me learning uh, our own language 40 years after birth. Right. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of the river in Paris? This oh god, you just, like put a... me, you just totally put me on the spot. I know, I know the answer to this, but I, I'm losing trivia already. Oh, okay. Duh, duh. <laughs> I can, I, I can say it both ways. Uh, sign or sin? Sin. Sin. Okay. I'm just sitting here wondering if I caught him singing "Sin," which is when they almost gave it a PG rating, and he was making a weird pun about the river, because, um, you know. I mean, I, I I was like 18 when I figured out it was Tim's, not Thames, and and London. So I'm sitting here. So wondering are you saying I... that the, just the word "sin" is like a bad word, and that would have lost them a G rating by just saying the word "sin"? Yeah, that was one of the things that the rating board came to him with. Um, trying to making That's the word wild, man. I didn't, by... I didn't know "sin" was such a bad thing. You couldn't even say the word "sin." Yeah, it's, I mean, the ratings board's weird sometimes, I guess, and since it was Disney, they're willing to tell them what it was, because a lot of times if you take a movie to a ratings board, they won't even tell you why they gave it that particular rating. You just have to figure it out and change it on your own and hope that you guessed right. Um, I like it when filmmakers will come back with something more extreme. They'll be like, no, just go back to the old one. Use that. <laughs> <laughs> that happens sometimes. Um, an, a note here that just like another m- mo of every single Disney movie, that Quasimodo can talk to animals. Um, that's that's a, one of the most typical ongoing themes outside of Disney killing their parents in the first few minutes. Right. Um, this one, they might not necessarily talk back to him, but they under like they understand each other. He can talk to a bird, and the bird hears him and does what he tells him to do, and has all the other emotions. But we don't actually hear or see any animals talk directly back to him but he talks to them yeah i mean it's definitely you watch the movie and you come out remembering the gargoyles more than the animals probably for that reason so if i mean it's like yeah if the animal doesn't talk uh what was it tangled where uh rapunzel has her little gecko which is cute nice character design blah 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 but you tend to forget about the gecko because the gecko doesn't talk that's a good gecko good gecko just uh you know you don't think about that as much as like uh, of you know Yago or talking animals and other movies. That could just be me. I don't know. It's it's kind of a half question, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you're throwing shade at a gecko for for no reason right now. For not talking, yeah. You talk, talk there's, louder. There's a really uh, I to me it was an ironic quote, but it seems like the moral of this movie beginning out. Again, paraphrasing, but but they say something to Quasimodo about 
life isn't a spectator sport. Don't sit around and like watch life happen, which is being said to you as you're sitting down and watching a movie. Uh, so there's, I don't know, uh, something interesting about telling people don't sit around and just watch life go on as they're sitting down and just watching. I think Ferris Bueller, tell, Ferris Bueller tells you that as well, right? <laughs> yeah, life, life happens context. fast. A very different context, but uh, <laughs> I did the end of this movie. I, I don't remember. Well, I don't know the end of the book. I, sorry, folks. I, d- I did not dive into the book on this one, uh, but uh, that's not what this did, show's about. No, it did feel like a, the end of the movie did. I just felt like in the back of my mind, like a really sweaty writer's room trying to work out how to end this movie. How did the movie end? Um, Esmeralda runs off with uh, the Sun King, Sun God, Phoebe, Phoebe's, not Phoebe's, Phobos, yeah. And then, but it's, a, Quasimodo's okay because the crowd likes him. For, he's getting his five minutes of fame, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Tamari might be a little more depressed, but the movie ends on a happy note, but yeah, he did just get like rejected. Yeah, that was a that was a weird one because first it starts out where like his goal is just to go out and experience the world, and he does that, and it's horrible as you would expect. It doesn't work out well for him, but then he meets this girl Esmeralda, and he kind of immediately starts turning into a. I mean, not like a bad creep, but a little bit of a creep in that just because she paid him just a modicum of attention, she becomes a love interest. Just like he just latches on now and all the gargoyles are like, hell yeah, man, like she loves you. She's totally into you, which is kind of weird because you kind of know right off the bat, like this is not going to work. Like, I don't know if if this would work out in Disney. Well, that's where I was. I think that's where I really got in my mind. Like, oh, the gargoyles, it's all just Quasimodo's inner dialogue. And this is the only female he's ever met. So that's actually a really compelling point that the the gargoyles are hyping him up because he's hyping himself up. And and I saying that like I really like that element of the movie because um, Disney movies usually don't have quite that component to the goofy sidekicks. So so let's just, as a quick recap so far, we've got a human being dying on screen. We've got a human being with mental illness and, and physical deformities. We've got a stripper. Um, and we've got a pretty biting uh, expose on religion in general, which, all, which I think also is represented by the gargoyles because the gargoyles, they kind of say a few different things that sound weird coming from a literal fixture of the church one of those is um oh just do it once you know what what frollo doesn't know can't hurt you they also say ignorance is bliss which feels like a little bit of an inside jab of uh i don't know the disney movie to religion um and then they also say it's better to beg for forgiveness than to ask for permission and none of those i mean on technicalities i guess i can understand them all but none of those feel very christ-like no, it's a hardcore movie when you get to the themes. Uh, looking again on this wiki page, themes and interpretations, the Hunchback of Notre Dame's thematic concerns include infant, uh, infanticide, am I saying that wrong? Lust, damnation, and sin. It's also a condemnation of abortion, euthanasia, and racism, and a moral resistance to genocide. Take the family out. Let's watch it. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, some of those are a little bit heavy-handed. Um, like they because are. The, the genocide is really just the judge doesn't like gypsies. Yeah, but um, like you said, if, you're, if it's about wiping out the pagans in general, we are now looking at you know genocides of the past. Well, I mean, but that is, I mean, that is the story of what was actually happening at this time successfully. Like that, that happened. <laughs> so it's suggesting it because it's a Disney movie, but it, what was happening was a lot more intense and violent and horrible. Again, this is the first, this is the first time that they even kind of hint at some of these like real things happening and address it. I mean, blood doesn't come out. This is Mortal Kombat fatalities without any blood, but it's still in there. Like the Super Nintendo version, yes. Right, exactly. Yeah, this is the Super <laughs> Nintendo version of Mortal Kombat. They're just but, sweating. Yeah. Everyone just sweats a lot. <laughs> but just so you can stick all of those words into your... Just, even if it's heavy-handed, just you can put all of that in your description of <laughs> this Disney movie. And you're at least like, well, it's heavy-handed, but I see the connection a little bit. And some of it quite more tight. You know, damnation, lust, damnation, and sin. That's all around this movie, no matter how you slice it. So I've I've got another one here, and this is a little this is I think is just building on my Disney proxy theory, which I won't re-explain to you or the audience. You can go and watch any of our other episodes, but in this case, the Disney proxy, where they re- were they're trying to get rid of your parents, so they're trying to teach you some lesson that's subversion of your parents. The judge is your parents. If you watch this movie, the judge basically is is saying like. You can't you can't go outside and play around in the city by yourself. I have to be here to protect you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to teach you things. Like this judge is actually being a in my opinion, I know this sounds weird, but he's being a good parent to Quasimodo. He's he's being He gives attentive. him a lot of attention. I assumed he was going to throw him in the white tower. Attention he's about teaching him. him the alphabet. Like he he's actually has a a very true and earnest investment for whatever reason, for Quasimodo to not just completely decay and turn to nothing. He actually feels obligated in some way. But part of that is that if, if you imagine Quasimodo and the judge is really a, like a six-year-old and their parent, right? The parent is like, no, you can't go outside and play in the street. No, you can't just go out and talk to strangers. You have to stay in your room. You have to like eat lunch with you know mommy and daddy. You have to clean up. Like You have to do these things. And the entire premise of this movie is like, no, don't do what your parents are telling you to do. Jump out that window. Go play out in the street. Go talk to strangers. Um, like that. That's what everyone's encouraging him to do this whole time. And so the whole time I'm just thinking, like, Disney is telling you directly, disobey your parents. Go out. Play. Like, don't listen to these authority figures because Disney's here. And D- Disney's telling you it's okay to not listen to authority figures. The guy giving you this advice is a dark, prejudiced murderer. <laughs> trust the priest, little kids. If you ever, if you're ever in trouble, just trust the Catholic priest. They'll they'll take care of you. I, again, maybe that's why he's a judge, so you don't have like you know the Catholic media board coming out and complaining about it. Yeah, I, fair, it's another fair point. <laughs> that, I mean, that was like, also a popular movie trope around this time. I think lots, lots of priests touch, doing lots of bad things to lots of little kids. In in movies, yes. <laughs> only in movie. That's, that's all, this is only a Hollywood in, fabrication. Only in movies. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> this is just part of Hollywood's attack on on morals. 
<laughs> uh, bopping down your list. Did you have any others there? I will see what I've got. <laughs> um, so Esmeralda obviously represents paganism and like this old world folk magic. They directly mentioned it a few times. They talk about her being a fortune teller and palm reader. She has a pet goat, uh, which feels like it plays right into that same sort of agricultural worship. She's a stripper. She's the, she's got the oldest profession in the book. She also, um, so there's a really good line in here where they bring in the sun God and they tell the sun God to like wipe out, you know, the people we need, we need to put an end to the, the gypsies and the festivals and all of this. And he's basically saying like, you took me out of war for this. Like I was actually on like in a real war and you just want me to round up gypsies and, and arrest people for doing fortunes. And I'm just like screaming in my head, like, yeah, dude, like that, that is the real war. And, and that's what the judge even says. He basically says like the real war is what you see before you, man. That's like some deep MK ultra <laughs> exposition for sure. They're literally <laughs> telling you that you can do way more damage um, by, by attacking someone's festivals, you know, covertly than actually attacking them physically. Well, yeah, you go to another country, you can blow up their stuff. Uh, they're part of the society. You can, pro uh, you know, properly subverted if you have the ways and means can't you so and then um what else uh esmeralda uh just this is the most random note but she's very understanding of someone just like breaking into her tent as she's changing and then is like worried about the other person it makes more sense if she's you know, a Screaming. prostitute <laughs> or stripping. Oh, right. it, it makes more sense that you walk into a stripper's dressing room uh, they might not react the same way as, you know, a regular, <laughs> no offense to strippers out there, a regular person's dressing room. Well, it's just like, yeah, you get used to your work situation, right? So, um, Esmeralda also, the scene when she gets the coins thrown at her, that was like the scene with Sama Hayek and Dust Till Dawn. It, it seemed very similar. I just had to throw that out there. Okay, and then it's been a while since I saw that, but I can, I can get that. The best freaking Disney song out of any Disney movie so far, not musically, but the actual content and like the theme of the song is the God help the outcasts, man, that, that's a, a good damn song again, not maybe not the best musically, but if they had put, I don't know, um, maybe not Randy Newman <laughs> behind <laughs> this one. I'd love to hear, I need to get AI to make a Randy Newman version of this. Maybe an Elton John <laughs> one. I don't know. Um, th like this could have been a knockout, but I like it's going in my top ten for sure. Yeah, like so the music for this, I was like, okay, I see where if I were into show tunes, where this is like some pretty solid stuff. But I do have that show tune barrier sometimes. <laughs> uh, and then again, just a, another harp on that. It's weird that that this gypsy gives Quasimodo like a Vesica Pisces emblem that has the cross on it and that's like his guide his map to the city um i don't know is are they is she just a crypto gypsy <laughs> is that what that is uh or is is there some kind of like a deeper message in here that's saying that these these gypsies and i'm only saying that because the movie calls them gypsies so i'm allowed to but that these gypsies are actually more christian than i guess the judges which would have made a much better point if the judge were also in 
the church, right? If he was actually the the deacon or the cardinal or, or whoever the hell he was supposed to be, then it's like these folk magic gypsies understand his religion better than him. But the fact that they remove him and turn him into, I guess, this like agnostic atheist judge, it, you lose a lot of that the extra power for that. Yeah, I, for some reason, I, was, I kept thinking of the movie Logan's Run, where they have sort of the underground. They're not gypsies in that case; they're runners, but they have the they use the Ankh symbol instead. You know, they don't go; they go for the Egyptian, not for the the Christian. But that's also a sci-fi dystopia, so I, you know, it's kind of hard to uh, <laughs> put the two together and have a match. I mean, an, an argument can be made that the Ankh and the crucifix are kind of the same thing. Yeah, they're definitely cousins. You know, close cousins. So. You're kissing cousins. Yes. Um, everything else I wrote is basically just weird snarky stuff. Let's let's get weird and snarky. Okay, what I write. The songs in this are all fine. I won't be humming them, but I do have the ALF theme stuck in my head, and I haven't seen that for years. Uh, when they go to the ALF graveyard... ALF a rewatch. It's, ac- it's actually a... ALF was the first Married with Children slash Simpsons in my mind. They actually addressed... Um, like poor people problems. I think I have the first season on DVD, so I haven't watched it for a while though. <laughs> uh, I bet they're going to vandalize Jim Morrison's grave uh, when they go to the graveyard. Oh, um, this isn't snark, but I, I did hear a musical cue um, that they just had a little touch of Berlioz's um, "March to a Scaffold" stuck into the into the courtyard scene. You know, when they're getting judgmental. So mm, I, okay. I like that. Mm. I did. Oh. I did appreciate and part of this movie where the songs and the dialogue were kind of interlinked. Like every once in a while, they would just like sing what they were saying, but it wouldn't turn into a full blown song. It was just like a melodic talk. It's it's hard to describe, but it was. That's why, I, especially when he's kind of gaslighting slash NLPing him, because it like you said that the dialogue just kind of naturally shifts into a not quite song. I like it. Although I was also thinking this probably makes cutting like the original soundtrack as an album a little bit more difficult because now like in the half halfway through the song, people go back into talking and then back into song. So it might not have been the perfect translation that way, but I kind of liked the, the variety. That's for the record producer to figure out anyway. Um, we have lava solves all problems. He also terminator too. Um, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Here, here is my take last night watching it. Um, I said after this experience, I think next week, uh, if you visit Quasimodo, you're going to you're going to find a brand new incel after this experience. <laughs> 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 like I'm like this, this, uh, this ending's only happy for him like this afternoon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This gets a, I don't know. I haven't little... seen version two. What happens in the second movie? Does he like track? I've never sat down and watched it. It's just on. I had to turn the volume down because a bunch of seven year olds sat down and turned it on at top volume. So I had, yeah, I had to turn is, down is the volume. Is Quasimodo an incel for the rest of his life? <laughs> I mean, it's like that's the thing. This movie kind of suggests, like, you know, you can be too ugly and screwed up for romance. <laughs> Which uh, I don't think that's a great message. I, you know, I, yeah. I, this is actually the opposite of Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, she hooks up with a, what's his name instead, right? So he get yeah, dude, he gets friend zoned immediately. I mean, I thought they did a pretty good job of balancing, like the Kevin Klein character uh, whose name I keep forgetting, our, our sun god. Like, I mean, they did a good 
job working with this character in the movie, but still, it's just no. That's this seems. I don't think if they made this more. I don't know. It's, it's a you weird know what? End. I'm just going to throw this out there, but in 2024 AI has given us the power to make some romantic fan fiction where Quasimodo and Esmeralda do end up together romantically. I don't care so. that much, but someone's already done that, by the way. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, I guess so. I'm sure of course someone's they have. already done. Are you saying this from experience AI? or just because you assume so? I'm going rule. Is it is 34 the one where everything turns to porno? Is that where mm-hmm. our, our discussion ends up with the Nazis? I don't remember which one's which. So that's that's uh, rule 34 and versus Godwin's law. Oh, okay, there we go. Yeah, I always mix those two up, but. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. It's Which also are there. compatible. There's also a th- Rule 32 version of Godwin's Law, both of Hitler and Godwin. Mm, okay, hey, yeah, mix it together. That works out fine. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's most of my snark. So I, I guess I can wind this one down, uh, unless you got something else uh, on your screen there. Uh, I would like to point out that I had a legitimate gypsy put an actual curse on me when I went to Rome. Uh, so there's so how'd that. it go? I I mean, I don't know. Maybe life could have been way better than it is right now. As far as I know, it didn't have could, any impact. Uh, and it was been way because, worse. Well, no Maybe one gave a... her money. She was begging on the side of the street. No one gave her money. So I don't know mm. if I don't know if there's like a like a certain type of magic that if you actually offend them, like thinner style, like in thinner, didn't he like run over a kid or something? You know what I'm talking about? Um, I read it when i was 12 that sounds familiar it's a decent movie it's not a bad movie but he gets an actual curse put on him and no matter how much food he eats he keeps getting thinner and thinner and thinner hence the name Uh, okay i didn't know it was a movie i think i think i read the book way back when but movie movie. movie and book i guess but uh but I, i always wondered because i've actually like i'm not lying i've actually had a an old lady gypsy with like the hook nose and the big wart with the hair grown out of it like she came directly out of a freaking disney movie um, <laughs> and put a curse on me and a bunch of my friends and i've always wondered did it not work because it was like frivolous like she was just mad that no one gave her money or if like someone had actually done something bad to her does then the curse work or was was she just mentally just dis- i'm gonna go with she was probably just like a mentally disturbed quasimodo uh putting how are your friends on. doing uh Funny, you should ask that. Actually, I might be the only one still alive out of that group. Although, until this exact moment, I never actually <laughs> considered that as a factor. Uh, that actually freaks me out a little bit. Thanks for bringing that up. Oh yeah, sorry if I ruined you. It was, it was, yeah, it was two. It was two friends, and yeah, no, neither of them are on this planet anymore. Oh, okay. Well, hopefully that may, you could be like curse finished. I don't know. The <laughs> final destination situation. I have to just right. like constantly avoid gypsies whenever I see them now. Hmm. Is that okay? I don't know. <laughs> like I'm on like the the freeway, and there's a huge semi truck, and they've got a bunch of like loose gypsies that aren't tied down very well. I'm, like worried that they might fly like through my windshield. Is there cool music coming out of it? <laughs> I mean, again, AI, everything's possible. <laughs> um, well, let's pull this one into the into the cathedral, I guess. Uh, it's probably mid-February at this point. What's up? I got a new series that I'm playing with that uh, maybe we'll, we'll do one. It's, it's all fully produced. They're like little 15-minute episodes, and it's called Saturday Morning Conspiracies. 
and it's where I take like old '80s shows. The first episode is on He-Man, and the premise is: Is He-Man Jesus or is He-Man Knights Templar? And I think the answer to both of those is yes, in a very obvious way. But these are cool little like 15-minute produced mini documentaries that kind of give you all the firepower in the background of why He-Man is Jesus or the Knights. He Templar. was my Jesus when I was four years old, for sure. Well, there, there's a lot to that, man. He, he's a, a prince named Adam that sits the right hand of his father. Uh, he, he rides in a chariot. He wears a gold cross or a, a red cross on his chest. He summons the power of light. Uh, there's like, it's kind of, he fits right into the hero of a thousand faces, Joseph Campbell style. I've only done a proper head in the water first dive once when I was six and it was for swim class. And my dad was like, if you dive, if you do it, I'll, I'll buy you castle gray skull. That's what? why I got castle gray skull. That's pretty <laughs> insane, man. That, I mean, <laughs> the, the He-Man sets like that were unrivaled in my opinion. I guess he really wanted me to jump in the water properly. <laughs> did you, did you shout out by the, you know, I have the power before you jumped in? Oh, geez. I, I don't think I was smart enough at age six oh, to do man. that. I think I just, I think you just said, I was like, boom, you know, <laughs> is that where the head injury came in? That's was right. That the bottom of the pool. Yeah. Yeah. Water and head. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry. I was, I, you maybe we're not finished. <laughs> no, that was, that was the whole, that was everything. Okay. I'll, so I'll keep mine short and sweet then. Um, I do other podcasts at Patreon on podcastio podcastius. Come check it out. Talk about other movies, Twilight Zone, blah, 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 so on. Games, if you're into that. But I usually don't talk about games. That's, that's other people's Twilight? Hmm. I've never seen the movie Twilight, you know. <laughs> never read the book. Never saw the movie. I'm, I, yeah. Well, I, I think, once Disney acquires that property, we'll get to it. There we go. Okay. Well, uh, I guess I'm going to ring the bells and enter the next portal of my day. Long last preach 
Kingdom come 